is sexual politics. Now, before someone complains, Oh my god, I have sex to get away from politics, it's not just the politicization of sex itself. The term was coined by Kate Millett in her 1970 book, Sexual Politics. It's an important feminist text, which is both brilliant, not safe for work, especially that first chapter, and extremely dense to read. So if you manage to get through it, you'll be entitled to feminist bragging rights for years to come. Millet developed sexual politics as a way to examine the power relationship and dynamic between people of different sexes. Biological sex, I mean. Specifically, how men have institutionalized power and dominance over women in every facet of life. Patricia Hill Collins, who along with Kimberly Crenshaw is basically the goddess of intersectionality and whose work should basically be a religious text for feminists, takes the idea of sexual politics a step further. As a black woman, she shows how sexual politics can transform within a U.S. black social context. Black sexual politics consists of a set of ideas and social practices shaped by gender, race, and sexuality that frame black men and women's treatment of one another as well as how African Americans are perceived by others. As the term black sexual politics implies, this is specifically in regards to African Americans as their experiences are different from other groups within the U.S. Yet sexual politics is not exclusive to any one group. Everyone experiences sexual politics, albeit differently depending on their placement within the race, gender, and sexuality hierarchy. Using that definition, what do Asian American sexual politics look like? Especially, how do they impact Asian American women? That is the question I want you to keep in mind throughout this entire episode. Hi, my name is Camille Montano, and welcome to Asian American Feminist in Training. Sexualization of Asian cultures, and especially Asian women, has a long history behind it, and it's not U.S.-specific. Colonialism and imperialism within Asia created this perception of the region as having a single, unified culture that was not only inferior to the West or Europe, but was outright barbaric and backwards in comparison, aka Orientalism. There. There is a lot that goes into Orientalism as a theoretical framework, enough to probably start its own podcast, but for this episode, an important aspect of it is the sexualization and exoticism of the East, or Asia, especially women from that background. While the idea has its origins in Europe, it would eventually find its way to the U.S., and I would argue help to color the perception of Asian women who came there. In her book, Asian American Sexual Politics, sociologist Dr. Rosalind Chow says this, Asian Americans, while perhaps seen as nearly white, are not free from gendered, racialized treatment. This racialized and gender process is not static. The sexual stereotyping of people of Asian descent has mutated throughout American history, changing based on the needs and interests of white people. This idea of sexual stereotypes being used to uphold white supremacy can be seen in an Asian American's women's introduction into the U.S. Laws barring them from entering the country, there is propaganda that portrayed them as prostitutes and degraded creatures, cheap commodities, and sex objects who took jobs from whites, spread disease and vice, and corrupted the young. <laughs> Not helped by the fact that Asian women who did manage to get into the United States, went into prostitution as an easy way to make money, thus validating the mindset of all the bigots. 
However, the consequences of this sexualization didn't just make Asian women feared, they became coveted. As they were such a small population and so closely associated with sex, they became prizes to American men. Some Chinese sex workers even received a marriage proposal and they wept at the opportunity to escape their exploitative, often low-wage work. However, they also became the targets of street harassment and sexual exploitation. Asian American women have a very specific stereotype attached to them. Dr. Rosalind Chow describes it as sexually exotic, docile bodies. We know where the sexually exotic part comes from, but what about the docile bodies part? Especially since Asian women in the late 1800s were thought of more as like sex monsters coming to destroy Western civilization. Well, that's the beauty of racism, folks. It's never static, and historical events can often cause shifts in cultural perceptions. World War II was the beginning of a long string of wars with or involving in Asian countries, and in 1945, the War Brides Act allowed the spouses and children of U.S. soldiers to enter the country even if they were from a foreign nation. This meant a lot of Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese, Filipino, and many other Asian women from various countries came to the U.S. as wives of soldiers. This meant an increase in the Asian female population and a heightened, if oversimplified, awareness of Asian cultures. Around the same time, the women's liberation movement began to pick up speed, and with the perception of Asian cultures teaching women to be subservient housewives, they were seen as alternatives to angry, man-hating white feminists. Thus, you slowly saw the idea of the submissive Asian housewife begin to take shape. Though it is important to note that this does not erase the idea of the Asian prostitute. If anything, war, such as the Vietnam War, helped to strengthen this idea. Historical events, government legislation, and cultural perceptions have helped solidify the sexual politics surrounding Asian American women. The idea of Asian in women as both prostitute and submissive housewife has colored their treatment in the U.S by both their own communities and outsiders. Hell, you see these ideas continued in the media portrayals of Asian American women. Scholars and feminists such as, and I'm so sorry for butchering her name, Celine Paranas Shimizu have spent their lives work showing how the media has helped to racially sexualize Asian American women. As a re- representation has always been sexualized to some capacity. Whether that be as prostitutes in films such as The World of Susie Wong and Full Metal Jacket, the evil, seductive dragon lady who manipulates men for her own personal game in books such as The Good Earth by Pearl Buck and Memoir of a Geisha by Arthur Golden, or the exotic yet innocent Lotus Blossom Baby, a lover for white soldiers to use as an escape, produce a mixed-race child with, and then abandon in musicals and operas such as Miss Saigon and Madame Butterfly. The various stereotypes surrounding Asian American women, while differ, and especially when we go back by ethnic group, often share the core idea of being sexually available and subservient to often white American men. The most recent film I've seen this in is 2020's The Five Bloods by Spike Lee, where Pat past the lover of one of the main characters falls into the category of both prostitute and abandoned lover, or of an American soldier. 
While the film portrays her as a sympathetic human being, her limited screen time means that that is all we learn about her, and that the tropes are entirely who she is. Also, I'm only using The Five Bloods as an example. It's still an excellent movie about a topic most people don't learn about, that being black soldiers in a Vietnam War. It's important to criticize media you still love, and I'd still highly recommend this movie. Go check it out on Netflix. It's important to take note about these media portrayals, as they often run the risk of being the entire reality of Asian American women instead of being a part of it, especially for outsiders who don't really know that much. An even more concerning idea, though, is that these media portrayals often run the risk of obscuring the actual problems Asian American women face and the consequences of their racialized, sexualized status, such as Asian immigrant women and getting trapped in abusive relationships but not speaking out about it because of their status is as immigrants. Hell, the threat of violence is a larger problem for Asian American women as 55% of them have experienced intimate, physical, and or sexual violence in their lifetime. And it's never talked about, I would argue, because they have remained invisible in a lot of U.S. discourse on a variety of topics due to the idea of the submissive, docile, polite, Asian, and housewife who's willing just to sort of stay to the side being so prevalent in our culture. That's why a lot of feminist scholarship and activism about Asian American women, such as Shimizu's work, tends to focus a lot on better media representation, or at least just being curatable about it. Not just the idea of replacing harmful narratives with more positive ones, but making sure that there is more than one narrative being told and that it's actually seen by people. Yet writing this episode, along with keeping in mind the knowledge I have from researching episode two, I realized how important ideas, media, and culture can be in creating social change, considering how much impact it's had on Asian and American and women's sexual politics. Remember the Patricia Hill Collins definition of sexual politics? A set of ideas and social practices shaped by gender, race, and sexuality that frame all men and women's treatment of one another, as well as how individual men and women are perceived and treated by others. While social practices are important, they mainly come about through how we think things should be and are mainly meant to reinforce those ideas, affecting not just how the group in question is treated by outsiders, but how they treat themselves. In Dr. Rosalind Chow's book, Look, she did interviews with Asian American women and found that many of them had very negative self-images because of the ideas society was giving them. Whether that be because they weren't pretty enough because they weren't whiter or the model minority myth putting pressure on them to be perfect. As she points out in comparing Asian American women to black women, if African Americans, unlike Asian Americans, have a counterframe and established community that help them combat the pressures of hegemonic beauty standards. There are still problems, but a counterframe exists. Because of the scarce media images, it's difficult for Asian Americans to create alternative meanings and values about their bodies. And if no one tells you that there is light at the end of the tunnel, then how are people supposed to walk towards it? There is a lot that goes into Asian American sexual politics. Just looking at it from a woman's perspective is oversimplifying it. Whether that's societal treatment, 
self-perception, relationship dynamics, workplace power struggles, or beauty standards. Most of which I could not cover in this episode because that's both way too much information and the last episode was already way too long. Not to mention I've hit the midpoint in the semester where all my teachers hate me and assign me a lot of homework. That's why this episode is being published a lot later than I intended. That's why I highly recommend Dr. Rosalind Chow's book, Asian American Sexual Politics. It's an easy read, you can get it on Amazon, and it covers everything I either summarized or couldn't include. Either way, though this is only a fraction of what you could learn, I hope you understand why Asian American sexual politics is an important topic to Asian American feminists, and that you at least got something out of it. I know I did.